All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Natural Awakening, a podcast about awakening, naturalism, and today about uh, community, community of practitioners, uh, spiritual friendship, uh, other such things with guest Ron Serrano. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Serrano. Uh, maybe uh, for those who don't know, you could say a few words about yourself, who you are, what you do, um, and uh, how, how you got involved in this this whole thing. Okay, so uh, I guess the first thing to say is that uh, I'm a meditator. I've been meditating for uh, over 25 years now. And uh, for the most part, I was just uh, a cave yogi, you know, kind of on my own, no community. I learned how to meditate. And I sort of, when I say cave yogi, the cave was a yoga room down in uh, my basement. And so if you go back 25 years ago, I mean, you were kind of on your own. You know, there there weren't uh, podcasts like this. Uh, there were a few, not many. Uh, there wasn't that much you could get on the Internet. And uh, so about the only interaction I had with anyone uh, Buddhist, you know, because I was surrounded by just sort of a, a secular world, uh, was Lee Brasington, who I had learned the jhanas from about 25 years ago. And uh, so the only interaction I had was... Uh, I would occasionally send him an email and once a year he'd be up in Barrie, Massachusetts. I'm in Connecticut. I'd go up there and I'd hang out with him for about an hour. And that was, that was about it. And, uh, do you want to get into community or, I mean, that's, I've, I've just basically been a meditator for 25 years. And, uh, one of the things after my retreat with Lee, I basically declared myself on permanent retreat. So I consider myself having been on a, permanent retreat for the last 25 years. That's, that's really interesting. Maybe briefly, I'm sure you could talk about this for hours, but could you say what, what permanent retreat, what that means to you? Okay. So the deal was I went on this retreat and it was one of the, uh, you know, bliss bomb retreats. I mean, it was, you know, all the kinds of things that you hope were going to happen on, on a retreat. And as it was wrapping up, I realized it was going to be probably the last retreat I was going to go on for some time. It was a 10 day retreat. And I, I wasn't going to be able to do that because they had two young sons and uh, they had very high energy. And, you know, my wife was about, you know, ready to have herself committed. So it wasn't going to happen. But at the end of the retreat, what I got was this rule of thumb from Ayakima. And this is a great uh, sort of a great instruction, which is you can retain retreat level consciousness if you meet certain requirements. And the first requirement is you must every single day meditate a minimum of two hours and it must be broken into two sessions, two roughly hour sessions, one in the morning or and one in the evening. And that was sort of the most important thing. And I have done that every day for the last 20 plus years, never with, 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 with no exception. And the other thing was to just really view the entirety of the day, because there's still 22 hours, as being practice-oriented like you would on a retreat. So one of the things was I did dream yoga, and I used to do a lot of, I started doing a lot of lucid dreaming at that time, so I would view the nighttime as that was eight hours of dream practice. And then the other thing is, even during the day, every single activity needed to be viewed as a Dharma activity. Okay, so normally something like, you know, my wife would say, hey, can you, you know, run to the store? I need, you know, whatever, quart of milk or whatever. So it would be just, uh, you do it sort of, um, you know, in a 
sort of a semi-stupor. You just get in the car and you'd go and you'd come back and you wouldn't even remember anything that happened. And just even view things as this is, uh, this is a, an activity being performed in, in service. And so I'm going to get this quart of milk for somebody else. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll have some of it, but it'll be for my wife and for the kids. And uh, just to view it as a kind of a bodhisattva vow, you know, fulfilling, you know, even sort of the most mundane things in that way. And at first, you know, it didn't really work all that well. I'd sort of slip in and out and I'd be in non-retreat. But over time, uh, I know you, you and I talked briefly about the term natural. Retreat is actually like a natural state. It's when you fall out of retreat that it's, it's, it's synthetic and made up and not real. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, may we all aspire to that level of practice and it's definitely something you have to work up to. Um, I, I try to take up with it in the same way that you do, perhaps not quite as assiduously yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, that's... just keep at it. You'll, you, you'll be amazed at how easily you'll, you'll fall into it. it, it it's mostly an intention thing. Yeah. If you have the intention to do it, you, you will be surprised because like we were saying, it is kind of like a natural thing. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, that's inspiring for me and I hope for others as well. Um, the main topic of today's uh, conversation is the, uh, the Dharma group, uh, circle of friends, uh, Dharma mechanics, which you, uh, I don't actually, were, were you the sole founder? So this is, this is when I no, turned no, it over to you. How, how'd this happen? Well, I'll tell you the story. That's probably, that's probably a good setup. So, okay. So here I am. I'm this, I'm this cave yogi, right? And the first thing that happened, uh, that sort of brought me out of the cave was this Judd Brewer study of long-term meditators. I think that was 2008. So I'm like 10 years into meditation now. And, um, of course, Lee Brasington was a good friend of mine and Lee told Judd, Hey, listen, there's this guy that you've got to get involved in this because the beauty of this was I'm not that far from New Haven. I'm on the Connecticut shoreline. So I very quickly became uh, Judd's guinea pig because whenever you do this stuff, you have to have protocols. You got to test it. And uh, I wound up doing, you know, over a few years, I don't know, maybe 50 year, uh, 50 hours of uh, fMRI, you know, in the, in the laboratory. And uh, he could try out any of the new protocols and see if this stuff was working. And the beauty of the study was that he was flying in meditators from all over North America, really in the world. So we were talking about Shinzen Young earlier. And, you know, I basically got to meet the who's who of meditation in, you know, the, 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 at least the Western world. And uh, in spite of all this, uh, so this was, you know, very stimulating, very good for the practice, but I'm still a cave yogi. And I even tried to find uh, Sangha because, you know, we all know about the three jewels and there's a reason why Sangha is one of the jewels. There was a group in uh, New Haven and actually for a while, Judd was running the group. So I was sort of tied into it. Uh, I would come to a few meetings and often people that he had flown in for uh, brain scans would be speakers, you know, so that's how I met Daniel Ingram. I met uh, Gary Weber, uh, I mean, I could, I could go on and on. And, uh, you know, all, these are all people who have become good friends. But it was very, very hard to connect with the community because these were just people that were coming in and out. They were there for an hour. 
they would listen to the speaker. They'd ask questions. You'd have a little conversation afterwards. But the really the ability to really connect in a way that was going to help your practice and their practice, it was almost impossible. You just couldn't do it in like an, an hour, uh, an hour uh, a month. So right around this time, we were talking about podcasts. The one podcast out there was Buddhist Geeks, you know, Vince Horn. And wow, that was cool. You know, when that theme song started, you know, with the Buddha and the little bouncing third eye, you know, the little green eye, that was just, that was so cool. And I got a call from Vince and he said, Hey, we're going to form this virtual sangha. It sounded, it sounded like a crazy idea. What the heck is, what the heck is that? And so I, I had a, a, a video call with he and uh, Daniel Thorson. Daniel is one of our members. You may know Daniel. He also has a podcast now. And we had to talk about it. And, I, and it, we talked about it for an hour and it sounded really interesting. I still didn't know what the heck it was. So I had a feeling that this is just one of these things. You just got to do it. And that's how you, that's how you find out what it was. And, and the Buddhist geeks community was a great thing. It, uh, it only lasted really about a year and, um, it, it failed very quickly because it didn't have a, a business model that worked. And, um, you know, I have only good things to say about them, uh, because they were, they were on the cutting edge. You know, it was an experiment. And experiments, when you do an experiment, you have no idea what's going to happen. And unfortunately, financially, there just wasn't enough of a window for them to figure it out. But in that year, uh, a number of very interesting people were members of that. We got to know one another. And so when it did fold, uh, the obvious thing to do was let's see if we can keep it going. And, you know, the Google Plus platform was there. It was actually very uh, useful in a number of ways. And so we said, let's just, let's just give this a try. And I'd say there were about uh, roughly, roughly a dozen of us. And we, we knew each other, you know, reasonably well. And when we first started, um, we, we couldn't agree on anything, even though we were nice people and, uh, you know, we liked one another. And so the normal, you know, human reaction to that is you kind of, you would dig in and, you know, your, my opinion is right and your opinion is wrong. And we, we did that for a little while. But then what we figured out is the reason we couldn't agree is that just nobody knew. It was just that simple. And so one of the most important things is we declared ourselves an, an experimental sangha. And that meant we were just going to try things. And some things worked. And so naturally, the things that worked, uh, we did more of. And the things that didn't work, those were even better because we learned something from them. And so we try something, uh, we try something new. And that's just, that's how it all started with a dozen people. I think it was, uh, 2015 or 16. And now we've got uh, a couple hundred people, six continents, um, it's a very, as you know, as a member, it's a very active, very bright, vibrant community. So I'm, I'm hearing in, in the report just like a lot of uh, a willingness to experiment and, you know, an assumption of goodwill among all the members with that kind of the binding of all being committed practitioners. Um, and I imagine that yeah. wasn't a frictionless process getting. Well, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, really, uh, you don't want, a, you know. Good processes are not overly polite. 
you know, you want to be respectful of one another, but you want to really mix it up, you know, and um, the analogy I love, I just came across this recently and it kind of captures what it's all about. And, and, and it's an old saying, the saying is um, like rocks in a tumbler, monks polish one another. And that's what's going on, you know, the, and, and the key is you got to have the tumbling. You know, when you first throw the rocks in there, they're kind of, you know, grimy and they're not very shiny. And of course, uh, the beauty is that the, the polished stone is in there. You just got to bring it out, but you got to have the tumble. And so that's what we did is we tumbled and otherwise nothing would have happened. It would have been, you know, it would have been sort of dead on arrival. Yeah. And I, I've always found for myself, my, my practice, my commitment, my enthusiasm, maybe the enthusiasm more than anything else is just so, so much enhanced, uh, by community. And I think there's a lot of people, uh, who I see online in forums or on Twitter or just like scattered all about the place, uh, who are really getting into this with a lot of enthusiasm. And yet I, I don't see them connecting with, uh, communities that exist already or forming their own. So I, I guess the intention behind this podcast is to those people out there, you know, these, this kind of thing is possible where you, you get a bunch of people together and you, uh, you know, you, you, you have a fire, uh, burning, you know, for, for spiritual practice, for, uh, whatever your, your aspirations may be and collaborating with others in that process just is the most wonderful thing. Well, and you know, it's also, it's a very delicate thing. And, and one of the things about, uh, Dharma mechanics is, um, we are unique in a couple respects. And this actually goes back to uh, a podcast that uh, another one of our members, um, Michael Taft did with David Chapman. And David really is somebody who looks at communities, particularly Buddhist communities. And he, um, when he has this framework of understanding uh, different kinds of sanghas, and are you familiar with this uh, uh, pre-systemic, systemic and metasystemic? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm loosely familiar, although for, for both me and the audience, it might be helpful if you could give like a, you know, a short definition. Okay. So let me give, I'll tell a little story, uh, to make this, uh, sort of real. So when Dharma mechanics first got together and also Buddhist geeks got together, it was a pre-systemic sangha. And what that means is we're not doing a system. Okay. So a, a systemic one would be, some well-known teacher creates a sangha and we're all, that person is our teacher and we're all learning the same thing. We're using the same vocabulary. We're using the same practices and we're presumably following some, some similar kind of path. So that's systemic. Pre-systemic is when we get a bunch of people together. We're all friends but we're all doing different things. You know, you're uh Theravadan, uh, Thai forest tradition, and I'm doing, you know, Dzogchen from uh, a Tibetan Nyingma tradition, and we got Zen people and whatever. And there really is, uh, there's no teacher there. Okay. And then the third thing is, and I want to be very careful in this, it's, it's very easy when you have these different categories of things that you get judgmental and one is good and the other's bad or one is the best. But 
you can think of a sort, and it's important not to do that because uh, particularly given circumstances for certain people, certain things work, work better. So, but the idea would be, you'd be, you know, sort of pre-systemic, uh, then maybe we all get together. We're, we were in community for a while and we realized, hey, you know, it really would be great if we would all focus on, you know, this one system, this one teacher, Shinzen's uh, um, unified mindfulness. And so then we become systemic. Well, the third one is uh, this post uh, or meta systemic. And this is the idea where you're basically embracing all the systems and you're viewing each one as kind of a window in on truth. And what you're really looking for is this sort of meta truth, this higher truth that, that, uh, uh, co- covers all of them. And, uh, that's, I'm listening to this podcast and, uh, David goes into the fact that there are no Buddhist metasystemic sanghas. And right after that, I called Michael and I told him, I got news for you. And uh, I think he was very, very skeptical, you know, because he's probably heard all kinds of things. So he says, is there any way I can, you know, see more of this? And I said, yeah, why don't you join as a member? And uh, he's been a member of ours for a couple of years now. And he's, uh, we've, we've done some virtual retreats with him. So it's, it's, it's really worked out well. But the key thing about the metasystemic community is you go from no teacher to one teacher and then in metasystemic, Everyone is a teacher. Everyone is a student. And that's where a kind of magic can, can start to happen. Yeah, every, everyone learning from each other in a spirit of open collaboration and, and curiosity. Right. That's, that's the, the, the flavor I've gotten from the participation I've had within, within the community. And it's, it's having been in both pre-systemic and uh, systemic uh, practice communities, um, I, uh, I much prefer this, this model. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's where, where I'm at and where, where, where it feels good. So I'm lots glad. of tumbling, lots of polishing. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, I, I hear a lot of echoes in what you're saying, uh, from something I'm, I'm familiar with from, uh, Tibetan Buddhist history, the, the genesis of the, the remay or non-sectarian movement where right. there, there's recognition of all of these different practice systems within different lineages. And there's an effort to preserve them in their distinction and respect and understand the different right. tenets and practices and systems, et cetera. And yet also uh, not uh, elevate one above the others and kind of have, have this open collaboration where someone might have a primary lineage or a primary uh, stream of teaching that they follow and teach. And yet they've taken empowerments. They've, done practices they're familiar with all of these other systems as well right um, which is uh yeah something that i don't know in in my uh, limited experience has been somewhat lacking in the the western you know or you know north american european western convert buddhist secular that that cluster yeah yeah well you see westerners we're impatient we like to jump around and of course you got all this stuff on the internet and all this you know free teaching that you get access to and I think one of the things that has really made it work for us is that we have some people that are no fooling deep. You know, we have people who have been doing shikintaza, you know, Zen meditators have been doing shikintaza for 30 plus years. We've got people in, in Vajrayana, you know, traditional Vajrayana with multiple decades. Same thing with, with Theravada. So that you, because the, the thing you want to be careful with is, when you get metasystemic is you not just sort of glossing over all the stuff. You're just saying, you know, sort of naively, oh, yeah, it's all the same. It's not all the same. 
And there's, there's, there's certain common roots. And the beauty is in seeing the common roots because you really know what you're talking about. You know the depth of what's there. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a great thing to, to hold in mind. It's, you know, you don't, you don't want to simplify across what is actually quite a broad variety for the sake of either politeness or just because you don't have the depth of experience in one tradition to understand where the differences actually are. Right. Yeah. And they're real, um, you know, in, in the, in, in some important senses, it's they're they're not pr- different practices issue in different results. Uh, and this is a big debate, perennialism, et cetera, but yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe not, not the subject of the podcast, but perhaps, uh, perhaps another time. Yeah. Well, we could get carried away. On that <laughs> one, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm hearing as well, a lot of echoes, uh, in what you're saying about the, the spiritual ideal, uh, in, in Buddhism of, of spiritual friendship. Um, and although I understand traditionally it was more, you know, within the monastic community, there's this kind of horizontal relationship between, uh, practitioners, um, like ordained monks, um, or lay people relating to one another. There's also this vertical dimension of, of spiritual friendship, wherein there's, there's someone who's much farther advanced and is kind of in a position of authority. And it seems like you have both in the Dharma mechanics space. You have teachers coming in, leading retreats, organizing things, respected as authorities. And yet there's also um, that horizontal relationship, which kind of keeps everything moving. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's a peer led uh, community. And so if you asked, you know, most people who run Dharma mechanics, they would probably, you know, point to me and uh, it's, you know, it's one of these things that it's, it's kind of a mystery how the thing works because, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Hangouts, you know, we've got 300 hours of recorded video hangouts and there's all kinds of activities, book groups, the whole thing. And honestly, it more or less just happens. And the reason it happens, the whole idea of it is that the energy it takes a lot of energy to run a monastery, to run a sangha. And the energy comes from the fact that people are already practicing. And that's what it is. You're just sort of drafting off the natural energy that's there. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a bunch of administrative things that, that I do. So when you go to the website, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see me pop up a bunch of times, but, uh, it mostly just happens on its own. It's very flat. You know, there really is no hierarchy. And of course, not surprisingly, when there's a discussion uh, about Shikintaza and someone's been doing Shikintaza for 30 years, that person takes sort of a lead role and people, other people are listening. And that's what happens. It's just sort of defers to not some invented hierarchy, uh, but it sort of just, uh, just sort of follows truth. And there's another analogy that I, that I really like. There's a picture uh, that was posted not that long ago of a bunch of, uh, fans, little like floor fans in a circle and they're all blowing towards the center and a scarf drops in the middle of it. And this scarf does this just incredibly beautiful, delicate dance for like a long time you know, 20, 30 seconds or whatever. And that's to me a nice analogy for, for what's happening, you know, cause I used to, um, you know, in my prior life, uh, go to meetings and I would show up as a, as a, uh, a floor fan 
And I would sort of blow my hot air and sort of make sure, you know, my hot air, you know, got its due or whatever. And what happens in these hangouts and the hangouts really are practice for many of our members, because what's happening is something transcendent is happening. If I, I, I don't want to use too, you know, full blown a term for it, but there's, there's, there's a dance of something happening that transcends any of the four fans. And, uh, that's really a practice to be aware of that. So open up your awareness. So you're aware of what wants to be birthed and you can contribute to that when the time is right and you know when it is and it happens spontaneously. You don't have to shout out somebody and it just sort of falls into place. And it is a, it's a kind of magic when it, uh, when it happens. Now there's a kind of, I know exactly what you're referring to. There's kind of a dynamic self-organization to yeah. a conversation or a group discussion or, and when you have a bunch of deep practitioners together, that the kind of thing is more likely to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe we could move on to uh, letting people know what, what is up for Dharma mechanics right now? What are the kind of things that uh, are going on now? And what, what are you excited about looking into the well, future? You know, if you look at the, the kinds of things we do, we've got, um, we do a bunch of these virtual retreats and um, we'll do a couple of those two or three a year. So that's, um, that's obviously a, a popular thing because we can bring teachers in and uh, the economics of it are just tremendous because you don't have to, you know, you don't have to rent a room somewhere. You don't have to pay for food. You're in your own home and the teachers don't have to travel. And, uh, you know, a lot of teachers are, uh, are getting on in years and it's, you know, it's, a, it's their expense and time spent and whatnot. And we actually, the first time, uh, Lee Brasington ever did a virtual retreat, he did it with us and it was an experiment. You know, the question was, you know, could somebody actually learn the genres, you know, virtually without being at a retreat center? And the thing worked so well that we've now done it. Uh, I think this is going to be our sixth year. And, um, the hit rates are, he will tell you that it's just about as good. It's pretty close to, to a residential retreat. And actually when the pandemic uh, hit, uh, he was able to do retreats. We were able to do retreats when other, other people couldn't, couldn't do retreats. So, uh, the retreat thing is obviously kind of a, a fundamental thing we do. We also have lots of guests. I mean, if you look at, uh, our guest list, we've had, uh, Kind of the kind of the who's who of uh, at least at least Western Buddhism. You know, Shinzen Young, Daniel Ingram, Lee Brasington, Stephen Snyder, Joseph Colstein has been with us. Chula Dasa, we did a very memorable hangout with him. Guy Armstrong, uh, Rick Hansen, Andrew Holacek, uh, Rupert Spira. We're going to be doing one actually this month with him. Judd Brewer, Donio Burke. So we we bring teachers in, uh, so we expose people to a lot of things. Uh, we've got a library. Uh, I mentioned the 300 hours of uh, recorded hangouts, and uh, they're actually now all transcribed because one of our members has uh, an Otter subscription, and he got the whole thing uh, uh, transcribed. We do our regular hangouts. Uh, you know, we have these uh, just sitting sessions where people just get together and and, and sit together, um, but the so the real story here is I have no idea where Dharma Kansas is going because it's just, it's one of these organic things. Stuff just happens. And I'm sure that if we had laid out some plan, 
it would have been a waste of time because it wouldn't have happened that way. Uh, you're just basically drafting off people's energy, the inherent energy of practice and, and being a bodhisattva and things just sort of spontaneously happen. So, you know, the, the real short answer is I, I have no idea. We'll, we'll just see what happens and it'll, it'll be interesting no matter what. That's a, that's a good answer. And I think reflective of those, uh, those, those many years of practice you've done. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, Ron, for, for coming on. And, uh, if, is there anything we didn't, we didn't cover or that you'd like to go more in depth on? Well, I guess one last thing I will say about this. And, uh, you know, I've thought a lot about, you know, what's really going on here. And, uh, I'm always very careful of, uh, you know, not trying to oversell something or trying to make something, something it's not, but there is a kind of magic that can happen in a, in a, in a metasystemic uh, sangha. And it's a threshold thing. So you have to develop a certain level of people need to know one another. They need to trust one another. Common vocabulary. I mean, one of the things we found out early on was that we thought we understood what we were saying to one another, but the fact is we didn't. We were using different terms or a lot of cases using the same term and we meant different things. So we were kind of like, you know, ships passing in the night. And what happens is once you get a certain threshold with certain people that know one another, respect one another, understand one another, there is this, uh, uh, this kind of one plus one equals three arithmetic. Uh, you know, uh, Shinzen Young is very big into, he's kind of a, a math geek and likes to express things in, in mathematical terms. Well, what, what I mean by the one plus one is three. So, you know, you, you and I are the one plus one, you know, and you have practice in the tradition. I've practiced in the tradition. And so by definition, if we get to know one another, we're already at one plus one equals two because we can start to, um, uh, draft off one another's insights, like, like piggybacking, right? You tell me about your insights. I tell you about my insights. And so now I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I've already learned something, but then something else happens. And this is where the three comes in, which is where we start to look at having traded insights about the nature of reality, right? About the nature of practice, uh, about the nature of suffering, you name it. We start to see these meta insights things that transcend the original insights, some higher order truth. And uh, that's really tough to find elsewhere. You know, people try to find it with a, a, a teacher and it can work very well with a teacher, but there's something about the peer to peer. You know, we are two people traveling down a path and we're curious about it and we're looking to learn about it. And, um, that is very, very uh, unique and hard to replicate. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't know what, what else, two, two thumbs up. It's, it, it's, it's really special when, when that happens. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you and everybody at Dharma Mechanics are facilitating uh, a, a field, a ground for that all to, to happen within. Um, where, where can people find Dharma Mechanics? How, how can they Just get in contact and go to, go to Facebook. We're a Facebook group and uh, we also do have, uh, a webpage, uh, com, I guess. And, uh, it says it's woefully out of date, but it will, there'll be some information there that's, that's useful. 
And I want to thank you, Winston, also for the podcast. I just love this proliferation of, of podcasts. And uh, you've got some really interesting guests. I know you've got some very interesting stuff uh, uh, coming up. So to me, it's just all part of the mix. It's just uh, all a very good uh, dynamic that's, that's, that's going on and all the different pieces draft off one another. It's like dependent origination. You know, all these things are sort of coming together and, and, and working together. So it's, it's great to see. I just, uh, I, I remember one, I can't remember. Maybe you'll be able to tell me. Uh, I, uh, the line came into mind, the translation of dependent, uh, dependent origination as, uh, falling up into existence. That, that's kind of what this podcast has been. <laughs> nice. Um, very nice. And, uh, just, just coming from a desire to, to see, I, I, I wanted, to see the conversations that I've been having and I, no one else was doing it. So I was like, great, I have some connections. I'll just start inviting people and talking to them, see what happens. Yeah. And it's been going well. So yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, great. I'll, I'll put the links to Dharma mechanics below. Um, thanks so much for watching everybody. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy your practice and may you be well. Great. <laughs>